0: week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and today's episode has been directly inspired by the last few weeks of my life. Uh, You know, even though the trees and flowers are starting to bud out, the days have been getting longer here in the Northern Hemisphere where it's spring, it has also been feeling to me like my clients, my friends, my family, people all around me in all different contexts just seem to have like hit a bit of a wall. And when I peel back a little bit, because I I started to notice this trend about a week ago, and then it just continued and started to feel kind of intense. It feels to me like the last few years are just really starting to catch up with people. So I want to start by sharing some statistics that are they're about 18 months old, um, so they're not the most current statistics, but they are uh, statistics that were published by American Psychological Association in 2021. So let me just prattle these off for a second. So according to this study by the APA, the majority of adults, so 61% of American adults, reported experiencing undesired weight changes since the start of the pandemic. Two in three Americans said that they are sleeping either more or less than they've wanted to since the pandemic started. And we'll talk a little bit about the more sleep, the less sleep in a second. Nearly half of Americans said that they delayed or canceled healthcare services. So people haven't been able to find the time and attention to take good care of their health. Nearly half of parents say that their level of stress in their life has increased compared with before the pandemic. Essential workers were more than twice as likely to say that they've needed to seek treatment for mental health than non-essential workers. Um, And Gen Z adults, so Generation Z adults, so our youngest adults, were the most likely generation to say that their mental health is worse compared with before the pandemic, which is all to just set the stage to talk about the impact of stress, not just short-term stress, but sustained lasting stress on our experience, our well-being, our physiology. So we're going to talk about what stress is, because I feel like that's a word that just gets thrown around. And in these conversations I've been having the last few weeks, I'll ask people like, well, well, when you say stress, what do you mean? And most people can't put words to it. So we're going to start there. And then we're going to talk about what is all of this doing to us? So that we can start to recognize some patterns and maybe get help, and also as coaches and practitioners, we can do even more better at holding space for the people that we're here to hold space for. So heads up that in this episode we're going to be referencing trauma. We're going to talk about triggering. We're mostly going to be looking at it from the mechanisms of those things in the body, but if. Uh, listening to content on those topics is not going to be the best thing for your mental health and well-being. I just want you to know ahead of time so you can take care of you, which is obviously going to be our priority. All right, but first, I want to share with you. So the National Academy on Sports Medicine, uh, NASM, is the uh, producer of this show. We are on the NASM Podcasting Network. Yay, NASM and our producer, Eric. Well, NASM has a wellness coaching certification that has been built by experts in sleep, stress, coaching, neuroscience, movement, and positive psychology. I am very proud that I got to contribute to NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching course. And that certification right now is 50% off over at NASM's website website and listeners to this show have access to what I am told is the only code that can give you $600 off on that certification. That code is Marshall CWC. So M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. That's my last name. Uh, go to nasm.org, click wellness at the top, and then use that pro- promo code whenever you give them your money. M A uh, S M A R S H A L L C W C gets you $600 off whatever the current sale price is. Cool. So now let's, let's talk about stress, baby. We're going to start off with a bit of vocabulary. Um, because unless you're a nerd like me and you've studied a lot of body stuff, there's a lot of, a lot of words. <laughs> this could easily become word salad. We're going to start off with the autonomic nervous system. So autonomic in this case is all the automatic functions that happen in your body without you even thinking about it. So your heart beats, you don't have to think about, okay, beat, beat, That just happens. Your digestive organs, they do their job. Your hormones, they do their job. All of that is governed by the autonomic nervous system. Now, that's in contrast with the somatic system. That's all the things that you do have control of, like your movement, like speaking. Now, obviously, there's going to be some things that cross over, something like breathing, right? I don't think about breathing most of the time, but I can be really intentional about my breathing. So that goes both ways. But the autonomic nervous system generally has first stay in something like your breathing, which is why when you're really stressed out, like um, I was mugged in my early 20s, or I should say it was an attempted mugging. he was not successful, but someone tried to mug me. And when I went to speak, my voice was really, really high to the point that my now ex-husband my husband was, was upstairs. He didn't recognize the sound of my voice because my autonomic nervous system had upregulated my stress response and it changed what my somatic system was capable of. Okay. So then I just use this word upregulation. Let's lay this out. The sympathetic aspect of the autonomic nervous system, right? We're stringing these words together now. So your autonomic nervous system has kind of two modes. Sympathetic is upregulation. That's like, let's get all the resources online so we can do what we got to do. We've talked about that before on the show, like back in the episode on flow states, Chris Bertram was talking about how do we stimulate ourselves because we need a little bit of upregulation. If we're going to get into flow, you're not taking a nap. You're trying to do stuff. Parasympathetic. I want you to think about like parachutes. This is the other aspect of the autonomic nervous system is the parachute. The parasympathetic is bringing us down. So you've probably heard the phrases fight or flight that's sympathetic. And then you might have heard the phrase rest and digest. That's parasympathetic, right? That's coming down. Now, what about stress? We throw this word stress around, but what do we actually mean? Well, most people, when they think they're talking about stress, they think they mean like short term, I'm irritated, I'm pissed off, like something's got me going. But there's a lot more to stress as a whole than most people have thought about before. So let's explore it together. And let me see if I can get your brain container humming on the stress thing. So stress is when you've got a demand on your system. And I think there's two kinds. So there's this, the demands that we choose, that we know we can meet the challenge that's what we call U-stress or good stress. You feel good about it afterwards and it regrounds you to baseline, right? So I want to go get another degree. Yeah, it's going to be stressful, but I'm choosing to do it. I can do it. I rally and I grow into it. That's U-stress. Becoming a parent, very stressful. Most people would choose it. Um, Most people who do choose it feel positive about the experience of parenthood because it's so deeply meaningful. It's a growing stress. So that's what we choose and we can do. Then there's the things that we choose that we can't make. We can't make it happen. We can't get the resources. So we struggle and we struggle and we struggle, and it becomes a form of distress, right? So we've got you stress, we've got distress. This is when your needs and your desires start to go unmet because you can't get there, you can't get them to meet. So you might get frustrated. You might end up with lasting stress, maybe even trauma, if it's a foundational need that you're starting to struggle to meet. And then of course, there's all the stressors that we wouldn't choose, the things we would never wish on even our enemies. Those are also distress. So stress is about demand and resources. How do I meet the challenges, whether I choose them or not, And they might grow me or they might whittle me down. Not all stress is bad. Sometimes stress grows our abilities. That's the stress that we like and we want. If we're left in stress all the time, well, that's not that great for us. And this is where we circle back to the autonomic nervous system. All right. So remember, the autonomic nervous system is all of the things that you don't have full control over, right? I'm not gonna choose my heart beating, it's controlled by the autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system, we're cruising along in stasis, we're in a good mood, we feel safe, we feel happy, we're doing our stuff, and then fight or flight comes. Like there's some kind of stressor that comes along and it disrupts our stasis. So the boss calls and they're mad, you're almost get hit by a car, you get bad news, and now you've gotta have some kind of scary medical test, but it's not for a couple of weeks. So what happens in the body when that happens? The autonomic nervous system recognizes that it's interpreting a potential threat, a lack of safety, a challenge to stasis is the word I wanted. And that perception happens faster than you can even have a thought because the nerve bundles that govern the autonomic nervous system are actually around your rib cage and your thoracic spine. So they're closer than your conscious thought is to your organs and it shifts the whole system to be ready to deal with that threat. So it's an increase to heart rate and blood pressure. It slows down your digestion and urine production, relaxes the stomach, slows the saliva, slows the gallbladder. That's all because you don't want to have to stop and use a bathroom when you're running from the bear. It relaxes your airways to allow more oxygen in. And also your liver releases glucose. Your pancreas releases insulin. That's all, like the the airways, the glucose, the insulin, that's all so your muscles can be ready to either fight or flight. (laughs) It's so that you can be ready to marshal the challenge to the threat. Now, in a perfect magical fantasy world, safety would be reestablished as soon as the threat was over. Your parasympathetic nervous system would kick in and you'd come back to stasis. But for many of us, we're not living in that world right now. We stay upregulated longer than the threat exists. We have threats that don't require us to run or fight. So we don't need all that insulin and glucose, and that has some damaging effects in the body. And we have sustained or repeated perceptions of the threat over and over and over that keep us climbing. What do we do with it? Well, you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. We're talking about stress in the nervous system, and we've laid this groundwork of what's actually going on, right? So you've got the autonomic nervous system is all the automatic things that your brain's not consciously doing. It can go up, that's sympathetic. It can come down, that's parasympathetic. And ideally, it'd go up when you have a threat and come down right after, and you'd use up all the spare energy from that threat. But that's not always happening for all of us. So let's keep peeling back the onion here. So remember that stress is not something that you think about. It's something that your body experiences. And if you want to dive a little deeper into that concept, I encourage you to go back and listen to the episode Mind, Body, Myth, if you haven't listened to it yet, because it'll help you understand the idea that we're all an integrated organism. We're not a mind and a body. We're a person. So we think about modern life and stress. I want to put two things in your head as we continue this exploration of stress in the nervous system. Overstimulation is the first thing I want to put in your head. And overstimulation relates to another big phrase, which is super normal stimulus. Now, the normal here is not like my day-to-day normal. The normal is like what did a human organism adapt to experience in their life? So a super normal stimulus is when it's something bigger and more intense than what we adapt and evolved to handle. And when you're thinking about overwhelm and you're thinking about super normal stimulus, think about your five senses and what we evolved for. How much light did our ancestors encounter in a given day? How loud were the sounds that they would have heard? What flavors or textures or calories in density would have been in the food? What was the degree of comfort or challenge that you might expect in the environment? Now, some types of stress we did evolve to experience and that those types of stress tend to actually benefit us. So things like the stress on the body from a really good workout, we know that you need to challenge the muscles for them to grow and get stronger and have higher mitochondrial density. That's a U stress. Um, it's also why things like cold plunges are good for us. We wouldn't have been comfortable all the time. And some of the best mechanisms in the body turn on when we challenge it. Now, there are also all kinds of overstimulation that we did not evolve for. Uh, I know I've used the example on this show before of when I worked in New York City as a personal trainer. I'd wake up at five a m, typically still tired. I'd get on the subway within half an hour. It was bright. It was loud and potentially threatening sometimes. I've had some really messed up things happen on the subway, as is anybody who lived in New York for a decade. Um, I'd get to the gym. The gym was also loud. It was full. It was busy, bright lights, loud music. Um, I'd work there all day. I didn't have anywhere else to really go. And then, when I finally did get off of work, I'd get back on the subway, even though it was late at night. It was loud, it was bright, it was potentially threatening. And then I get home, I plug into the TV to try to—saw quotes here—relax. Um, and then, big surprise, I'd have a bad night's sleep, and then I do it all over again. So it was pretty much constantly in some kind of supernormal stimulus all day long, every day, six days a week for years. And I know what I found in myself was I would be dysregulated on my days off. I didn't want to do anything. I'd just hide in my apartment like a hermit because I'd need to the bubble of no stimulus. Um, so when we don't make time to re-regulate our nervous system from all that overstimulation, we're kind of just mainlining different forms of stress. And then that becomes our baseline. It becomes our sense of what's normal and functional In the body and in the nervous system. So I want to back up for a second again and talk again about the autonomic nervous system and how it functions. Let's add another layer. So we establish that it's all the things that you don't control. We establish that upregulation is sympathetic, downregulation is parasympathetic, and ideally when the threat ends, we should come back down, but we're all kind of living overstimulated all day long. So what does that mean? How does that relate to the statistics at the top of the episode? There are a few competing theories here. So I want to be transparent. I always like to be transparent on the show when I'm talking about things that are emergent or maybe there's a gap in the research. We're not fully sure. But the theory that I want to share is called polyvagal theory. And the reason is that a lot of the therapies and treatments and strategies around polyvagal theory have been shown to be effective. Even though we don't fully understand everything that's going on, we know that when we build responses and actions out of this theory, they tend to be effective. So let's talk about polyvagal theory. It's based off this idea that the nervous system of mammals, of which we are of course, a nervous system of, of mammals works in a certain way and it tracks with the evolution of mammals as an organism. And so I've seen this represented as ladders, as steps, as stages. I'm going to use stages for, for us for the sake of argument. But the first stage obviously is normal. You're walking around, perception of safety and calm. It's you're cruising at your normal speed, doing whatever it is you do. And then we already talked about something comes along and it disrupts your status. You go into fight or flight. Now, we've already covered what that is and what that looks like. But you sustain the stress long enough or you have a significant enough shock and you go into the stage of what's called immobilization. It is behavioral shutdown. This is freeze. It is an element of what Martin Seligman discovered in 1967 um, that all mammals have this thing called learned helplessness. That we are, when we are in an inescapable situation long enough, all mammals will eventually stop trying to get out of it. And the perception here is that you're under a significant enough threat that all you're trying to do is survive. So you're going to play possum, right? You're just going to play dead. So there's another thing that I want to point out, right? I said it was going to be overstimulation and a second concept. And that second concept is, I think this is where trauma comes in. So in the episode with Jordan Feingold, we talked about trauma so that we could talk about growth, right? That it's not all PTSD, that growth exists out of trauma. And just to refresh you, like when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about the idea that your subconscious has a set of rules and beliefs. We call it your schema. It's the idea around how the world works along with your nervous system right we said it's kind of monitoring for threat and what your nervous system has experienced so trauma is when something happens that challenges the schema so hard there's either a big shock or it's sustained so long that it changes the schema and maybe for a while the schema is kind of broke can't really reconcile itself And yes, that results in stress, but it can also result in growth. So if you don't find a way to process it through either meaning making, moving through it, or if it's a really sustained stress, you end up with a dysregulated nervous system, a nervous system that can no longer get itself back to that humming along baseline normal state. And you don't easily find your way back to that baseline. So sustained, sustained stress could leave us in not only fight or flight, but in immobilization, in freeze, or like a cross-wired combination of both. So under sustained stress, we can become stuck on this ladder, unable to regulate our responses, or you can regulate the mask of the response. You can kind of like pantomime, but inside you're feeling panic or freeze or stuck, or we shut down, we shut off, we detach. And the perfect example I can give you, for whatever reason, I can't tell you why, I absolutely have been obsessed with the show Hoarders for years. I've been on a Hoarders kick right now. New season just came out on Netflix. (laughs) Unpaid plug. (laughs) Netflix, sponsor us. Um, The wife of one of the subjects in this most recent season Gets asked by Dr. Zazio, the woman that facilitates the show, because obviously I don't watch it, um, asks this woman how she feels about what's happened in her house. And she's the wife of the subject. She, she didn't do it. And this woman goes in complete immobilization, total internal shutdown. She is all the way in freeze. And even has a medical issue called catatonia. She becomes catatonic and can't get out of it. That's this third stage of freeze taken all the way to the extreme. And it's just a perfect example of what we're talking about. That person who gets put on the spot and just shuts off. That's that third stage of the polyvagal theory. So you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. We're talking about stress in the nervous system. And I've thrown out a lot of language, (laughs) um, but I want to start weaving it together to give us this picture of the last few years and why this matters when we're talking about stress and wellness and positive psychology and well-being and all the things that this show is about. So I recently had a client who got really mad when her physician said that the physical problems that she's having are all in her head. (laughs) Um, And I can understand that reaction because for, I think, most of my life, the phrase, well, it's all in your head, meant that you were making it up. Uh, And I think what it actually is, is a very unskillful way of saying stress is the cause of your medical issue the stress that they're experiencing is very very real and it's happening in the body because stress isn't a thought that we have it is an experience in the nervous system the other thing to throw out there you know many people who listen there's plenty of people listen to the show for themselves and I love that Um, I'm honored by it. There are also lots of people who listen to this show because they're positive psychology practitioners, they're coaches, they're trainers, they're fitness and wellness professionals. And depending on someone's regulation, their history, um, their nervous system state, and what they're going through is how easily or not they're going to access our tools. And I think about when I worked as a personal trainer as my primary lens, like now I, I still train people, but it's through a different lens. When I was working in the gym, overstimulated myself all the time, and I'd have clients that, you know, I'd push them because that was, you know, I was hit, you want to put people through hit, but they had such stressful lives and they had such stressful jobs. And here I am just adding layer upon layer of upregulating stress, especially if it was after work. And big surprise, those people would get injured, those people get dysregulated because it just was feeding the same machine. And I say that to say, we got to recognize what's going on with ourselves and with the people we're trying to work with. Because depending on their regulation and what's up with them, we might be pushing them further underwater. So through, all, through this lens and the nervous system as a whole, I think it changes for me when you understand these layers, what being triggered actually means. And let me unpack that. So there's a principle in this work called neuroception. That's the idea that your nervous system is just constantly monitoring for threats in your environment that your conscious mind might not even perceive. Like if you've ever had the experience of like, oh, my spidey senses are tingling. That's what that is. That is your neuroception watching for threat. So you or your clients may have things that their nervous system is perceiving as unsafe. And when you perceive that threat, you go into fight or flight. You don't do anything about it. Maybe you dissociate. Maybe you numb out. Maybe you detach. Or like I said, sometimes those mechanisms can get cross-wired. That switch can get broke. And you don't even go to fight or flight at all. You just shut right down. And this doesn't happen just because like someone said something that you upset you and you're just too sensitive it happens because a process that is completely outside of our control remember the autonomic nervous system is what's doing this and it's not a thought that you're having it's outside of your control that you're perceiving a threat and this process is starting your nervous system is going something's not safe everyone has all three of these states Stress could take us through these stages when it's sustained. Sustained stress in a traumatic event, traumatic event could cause us to be stuck somewhere along this process and crosswire the connections. So
1: here's another example.
0: We think of fight or flight, sympathetic, right? Up regulation. But freeze is actually an emergency shutoff switch. That's parasympathetic. Remember the parachute freeze, unplug, detach, long-term puts us in a state where we are experiencing hopelessness, helplessness, lethargy, and physical changes. So we have increased insulin activity, which then results in weight gain and coping through numbing behaviors. And so when we think about our clients from a wellness and fitness perspective, and we're saying, oh, the calorie restriction isn't working for that person. They, Well, what else is going on in their nervous system? Is that really the appropriate thing for that person who's under sustained stress? Now we're just adding layers of stress and it's going to push them further in the hole. So this all speaks to, you know, what do we do about it? What do we do about the whole person experience that either we're having or our clients are having or just the people around us are having? Well, for someone in freeze, the most important thing is to recognize that it's happening and get the support of a caring, validating, safe person. And I want you to think of it like this. This is an acute picture in your mind of what this looks like. I want you to imagine that you, that the bad guys have come, (laughs) whoever the bad guys are, wherever you are, when they come, the bad guys come and you have to hide. And you know, if the bad guys find you, you're not going to win. So you have to be very, very, very quiet so that they don't find you. But now you're terrified to move. And even long after they're gone, you're still terrified. Because what if they're out there? you need a hero to come and let you know that it's safe and let you know that it's time to come out. So the good thing about learned helplessness, which this would be an example of, right? Seligman's learned helplessness. Um, You can unlearn it and they've proven it in multiple (laughs) mammal models where learned helplessness is induced. People, dogs, cats, possums, learned helplessness is induced and it can be unlearned. You can be walked through the solutions, taught the tools on your own, and engage with hopefulness, which can be a huge antidote to helplessness. If you think this is you or your client, the number one thing is to get help. Work with a therapist trained in trauma. This is what that work is about. And I want to own because I always try to own on this show so that you don't think that I'm some poobah up on the hill. This is me. I had decades of shutdown without realizing like that that's what was happening. And I was showing up in my life. The mask, the veneer on that mask was so shiny that people didn't know. I've only learned this information in the last few years. And to say that it has been helpful is an understatement. It has been massive in healing what I had no idea was a damaged nervous system. And in the intro to the show, I walked you through the stats because we've all just been through this massive cultural sustained situation that we could not get out of and we just had to accept day after day. And for some people, it's not over. And behind each of that wave of of this virus was also all of the other waves that has come. And so if you're someone who you hear me describing what shutdown feels like, get help. And there are all kinds of self-regulation tools that we can all use all the time. Remember the somatic nervous system, the things that are under your control? Remember that some of the somatic nervous system things also affect autonomic process? Well, once we recognize that we're in it, okay, I'm in freeze. Okay, I'm in panic. Okay, I'm in anxiety. We can use the au- the somatic things, the things that we do have control over to recondition the automatic. So these would be things like breath work, cold plunge, tapping or tremoring, chanting, humming, singing, right? Where that's, I'm using breath and vibration to change the perception of my state, meditation, therapeutic touch. So things like massage, yoga. Mindful, other forms of mindful movement. You know, resistance training can be incredibly grounding and empowering. And when practitioners are out there using the word grounding, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about using your somatic nervous system to repattern and recondition the autonomic nervous system to change your state. They all calm the nervous system so it can re-regulate. And of course, working with a trained mental health professional so you could integrate those experiences that have happened in the past and find your way to that growth thing that Jordan was so kind to educate us about earlier this year. When we recognize that we're in these states, we have the opportunity to do something about it. That opportunity can feel really overwhelming. I used to talk about having a therapy hangover right, the emotional hangover of bothering to open the box and go, oh, God. But we have to be willing to step into that process to get to the other side of it. Because part of repatterning all of this is looking at what's happened, rewriting the story, not only in our mind, but also in the body and how we relate to ourselves. And it can be done. Learned helplessness, we know, can be retaught. And that is a thought that I hope brings you hope and opportunity for growth. Of course, I would love to hear any feedback that you have on this episode. So if you want to find me on the internet, here's some places you could do it. You can email me at info at Darlene.coach. I'm on Instagram. It's also Darlene.coach. LinkedIn, I'm easy to find. I also have a Substack called more better um, and it's coachdar.substack.com. If you're a fan of the show, I hope you already subscribed. Thank you to anyone who's been out there writing reviews. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe it, my friends. Leave us a comment. Let me know what you think. Thank you all. Take care. Make some time to regulate that nervous system and be well.